This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. You know, as I was watching uh, this group, um, the Robinsons, this morning as they were testing microphones and going through that, and I was just watching that skit for the very first time, I found myself drawn into that. You know, there's a wonderful power in just the purity of a family. Oh, I want you to take, um, take your program, and on the inside, pull out the part that's for sermon notes. Uh, for those of you who are new to New Life, it's the only thing in there that's got uh, fill-in-the-blank statements on it, so that'll help it be easy for you to find and work your way through it as, as, uh, as I speak to you. But, you know, we're, today we're talking about extended family. And as you can tell, this entire sermon series is called Making Family Work. Now, originally we crossed out the word great and just put in the word work because I think a lot of times we get confused and we think that the goal is to have a perfect family. And that's not really true. There's not one single person sitting here this morning that's in a family that's even anywhere close to perfect. I want you to think with me for just a minute about the family that was on the stage. Are they a perfect family? Well, no. I'm, I heard already in there that one of them lost a job, and that was a pretty, pretty tough period of time. And many of us are going through that right now with the current state of the economy. And that can be a very, very tough thing. That, and many of us find ourselves right there. Not only that, I heard that one member of that family went through a divorce just in this last year. So this is not a perfect family. But the amazing thing is... The family works, in spite of the fact that there was a Cowboys fan and a Packers fan. And somehow they found the grace to pray together, and even as they kind of ribbed each other a little bit, it was all done in good nature, and nothing was mean-spirited. Now, as I was further praying about this message, I realized that in our audience this morning, there would be people from families that are very much like the Robinsons. Not perfect, but the family works so well. And they love to be together, and, and they find a way to live in grace toward one another. And, and when it's all said and done, they all have found significant ways to share life kind of across the board with each other. And then I realized that there would be people here this morning who would look at that family and go, I... I I'm not even in the same country with that family. I mean, my family of origin is so messed up, and maybe even my immediate family is so messed up, uh, it, it, that's almost like beyond my wildest dreams. Well, I want to start with a realization that I think is very, very important for all of us to understand. And I want you to write these three words in the margin of your notes somewhere. Write the words within my grasp. Now, I readily recognize that you don't have full control over all of your extended family, but I can tell you what is within your grasp is to begin to gently and persistently pull and influence your family in a healthy direction. Every single person sitting here can do that. I'm amazed 
at how often we give up so quickly on what family could be. I'm amazed at, at, at how people will come into my office and say, I don't know what's up with my kid. I'm ready to adopt them out. And, and, and yeah, they're kind of not kidding, but they kind of are. And they've developed this adversarial relationship with their child or with their brother or their sister or their mother. And I readily recognize that there are people that make it virtually impossible to get along with them. But, you know, they don't have to dominate your whole family. So much of having a healthy family that actually works is within our grasp. But there's a couple things that we're going to have to do. Okay? One is we're going to have to learn to change. Me. Before you can ever begin to effectively influence your family in a healthy direction, you have to look at your family differently and probably you're going to have to look at yourself differently. And that's kind of a scary thing. For, for, for most of us, we've never been there before. We find it far easier to laugh at the wacky people in our family and we think, my goodness, if I didn't laugh at my family, I could never survive them. And there are times when that's certainly true. But you're going to have to look at your family as people that are worth influencing. Because they are. And then the second thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to dare to be different. You know, I hate to say it, but the truth is, a lot of times we, we take our lead on, on a perspective on our family by watching television shows. Like The Simpsons. Or Everybody Loves Raymond. You realize how dysfunctional everyone is in that home? Every single one of them. Yeah, I mean, just go right on down the line. Watch Frasier. They're all nuts. Right? No one could live with that many phobias. And the problem is, when we watch all these shows, they're funny, and yes, they are funny because everyone in them is so dysfunctional, and it's those dysfunctional relationships that cause us to laugh. But I tell you, when you sit across the breakfast table from somebody like that, it's not funny anymore. Everybody understands, right? But the problem is, when we watch those shows, it dumbs down our definition of a healthy family. And we start looking around at people like us and go, they never made a television show about us. We must be pretty good. And that's not true. It's just that we settle for so little. That's why I wanted you to write within my grasp. We have, every single person sitting here, the opportunity to upgrade the health of our extended family. And I hope to be able to show you how to do that. So let's talk a little bit about a biblical perspective. And I want to read you four verses of Scripture where God, I mean, just as you read the whole Bible, how God kind of views the extended family. In Proverbs 17, 6, it says, Grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged. I certainly wish God would have used a different word than that last one because I have five grandchildren and I've already figured out what that makes me, all right? And <laughs> so, but the deal is, 
God is including, and I want you to underline the word grandchildren, because when God looks at the family, He doesn't just look at, you know, this, this dad, mom, and kids. He, he, God is looking at the whole family. Grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. And when Paul wrote to Timothy, his most faithful and loyal co-worker, who was a generation younger than he was, Paul said to Timothy, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now also lives in you. Now, right away, what two members of the family are conspicuously absent in that verse? There's no grandfather and there's no father. But isn't it amazing that even though that family had that very obvious and glaring weakness, we don't know if they had both died at an early age or whether neither one had decided to become a Christian. But the bottom line was, in spite of what we would all consider a less than perfect situation, the family still worked. That's the deal. They found a way to work together. Let me read you another uh, couple of verses God said about Abraham, I know him, that he will command his children and his, this is the word you underline and circle, the word household. Because in Abraham's culture, the household wasn't just dad, mom, the kids, and the cats and dogs. The household in that day and age, and I'll explain to you how that works here in just a minute, was actually the oldest generation and all the generations following and everybody that was kind of uh, uh, included in that circle. So a lot of times you had great-grandparents and you had grandparents across the board and then you had parents across the board and you had grandchildren and so that included aunts and uncles and cousins and it was the whole gang. Now God said of Abraham, I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, that Abraham had interactions with all of those people to the point that he had influence in all of their lives. And they also had influence in his. Joshua was very much the same way. Joshua said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Same concept. So let me give you a little historical perspective. For the first several thousand years of, of human history, virtually every culture that existed on the face of the earth was a culture that was an agronomic one. In other words, it was agriculturally based. It was involved in the growing of food and in the raising of animals and the shearing of sheep and the spinning of, of the wool to make thread and the making of clothes. Um, that's what occupied everybody's time. It was food, clothing, and shelter. And that's pretty much all you got done. And dad took the kids out to the field, and the kids worked in the field, and the kids tended the sheep, and, and, and the kids came home, and the kids fed the sheep and the cows. And, and, and you got up and you did that day after day after day after day. And, and the family had a plot of land called a farm. And when dad died, the kids inherited the farm, and the kids all stayed on the farm. And that's kind of how life worked in every culture pretty much across the board, across the face of the earth, until about 150 years ago. And then an amazing thing happened. And that's the second historical insight or the current problem. The metropolitan culture 
that we now have in our world, it has caused the traditional nuclear family to scatter. For instance, my family would be very typical. My mother lives in southeastern Iowa. I live in California. She had three boys. One lives in Iowa, one lives in Oregon, one lives in California. God bless Monica and me with three children. Two of them live here in town, one lives in Hawaii. So if you just take the closest members of my immediate family, they span from Iowa to Hawaii. That's a 5,000-mile scope. And that's pretty typical of virtually every family. And so that's a challenge or a problem that you and I have to learn how to deal with if we're ever going to share life effectively as an extended family. And if that's where the message ended, we'd all go home pretty discouraged. But I want you, I want you to understand one other perspective, and it's a very important one, and that is this. We have unparalleled resources today and opportunities to bridge that gap. Now, I know when you came to church, you never thought Bob was going to run for president. I know it took you by surprise. That actually took me by surprise too, all right? The second thing I want you to know is you probably never thought you were going to come to church and hear, and hear anything in a message about email, but I want to tell you, you have an unparalleled opportunity to connect with people half a world away very quickly through email. Probably everyone in our audience has an email address, and you send and receive email. Many of you text. Some of you have a phone with direct connect on it. And I know when my son got one of those phones and lived in Hawaii, I was amazed. I could take the cell phone out of my pocket. I could hit one button. It would go beep. And I would say, hello, son, how are you? And I would hear a beep. And he would say, well, fine, dad, what's up? That's amazing. We live 3,500 miles apart and we can talk in less than, in less than one second. We can talk together. When I was a kid growing up, long distance phone calls were very expensive. When the average person made less than $3,000 a year, the average annual household income. Some of you are going, man, how old are you anyway, right? <laughs> Back in those days, you realize that to make a long-distance phone call from, from one state to the next, if you talked more than five minutes, would often be $10. Now think about the percentage of what your income, of your income that that would be. Many of you have... You have telephone plans that long distance in in the United States is included in your monthly bill. You don't even have to pay for those phone calls. I mean, the list of resources that you and I have is unparalleled. Most of you have a camera on your phone. Yeah. I have a camera on my phone. You know why I bought that phone? Because I have two grandkids that live in Honolulu. And you know what I do virtually every week? I take a picture of myself or some place that I am or two or three pictures and I send it via my phone to my grandkids in Hawaii and say, guess what Poppy's doing today? Because I am determined that some way, somehow, I will share life with them. We don't have to give in to the fact that we have scattered families. We have unparalleled resources. I want to challenge you to get creative with those. So how are we going to do that? Well, like every other sermon in this series, we're going to focus on two words. So let's take a look at what those two words might be. The first one is this, and that is proactivity. You know, in my notes, 
I wrote this, this, this simple phrase. It's not natural and it's not automatic. You know, bridging the gap of hundreds or thousands of miles or bridging the gap to a dysfunctional family within your extended family, that's not natural and it certainly is not automatic. It's going to take some proactivity on our parts. And I, and I want to talk to three specific groups of people under this word because all three of them need to become proactive. First of all, let's talk to parents. Parents need to look for ways to bring all of the members of their extended family into the experience of raising their children. You know, back when the families all lived together on the same plot of land, grandma and grandpa got to interact with the grandkids virtually every day, and they spoke into their lives and vice versa. It was just a natural back and forth flow of communication. And the same way with aunts and uncles and cousins and so forth. That's just how the family worked. So how are we going to do that today? Well, we're going to have to look for ways. You know, a few years ago, those two grandchildren that are in Hawaii, back when uh, Alkina was probably three and maybe early three and his little sister Ariana was one, we were going to fly to Hawaii and we were going to spend a couple of weeks. And uh, we, we knew that the day that we landed, that our son and daughter-in-law, Anthony and Siona, had some things that they needed to go do that evening. And so the deal was that Monica and I, and to, to the grandkids, she's Lolly and I'm Poppy, we were going to babysit them that night. Well, now, I never told Anthony and Siona this, but I had a little misgiving about that. And I'm thinking, you know, Kina Boy is three, and, and Anna's only one, and I only get to see these kids once or twice a year, and we're going to show up on an airplane, we're going to waltz into their house, and their parents are going to walk out the door, and they're going to look at us like, who are you, and how'd you get stuck with us? I, I had, you know, and I knew that we would do okay, and, and all that stuff, and I knew eventually we'd get through the evening, but I, I got to tell you up front, I, it was like, I'm a little concerned about how that all's going to work. So we got out of the plane and, and we walked into the airport and we got down to baggage claim where we were going to rendezvous with what I thought was Anthony as it turns out to be Anthony and Sienna and the two kids. The two kids see us and they come running and they jump. And I was just like blown away. So obviously when they jump you catch. That's a good idea. So, you know, and, and we had this wonderful time. And, and so forth. And by the time that Anthony and Sienna got ready to leave that evening to go do what they had to do while we were set and ready to have a great time with the kids, I took Sienna aside the next day and I said, you know, I got to tell you, I was a little uneasy about what was going to happen. And, you know, I just barely know the kids. And the last time I saw Akina boy, he was, you know, six or eight months younger and poor Anna was just a tiny little baby and, and so forth. But, you know, I, I'm blown away. She said, that's because, this is what I want you to get. Now, go back up here and look. You need to look for ways to bring all the members of your extended family into the experience of raising your children. She said, virtually every day, we get out your picture and Lolly's picture. And we get out Uncle Eris's picture 
in, in Auntie Lisa's picture, in Auntie Angela's picture, and go down to all the rest of the family, and we go through all the pictures we have with the kids periodically so that they know who you are and they know that you're a part of their life. Now that, my friends, is way cool. Now, and you know something? It struck me. They could easily, they could easily, on that night, they could have made arrangements for another babysitter, their usual babysitter, to come in and take the kids. And they could have invited Monica and me to go with them and do something. But they purposely wanted us to stay home with the kids. Yeah, that's a way cool thing. I want to challenge you parents Find ways. Look for ways. Be creative in how you draw all the members of your extended family into the experience of raising your children. There are huge dividends that await you if you do. Now, second group of people I want to talk to is this. I want to talk to the extended family. It's important for you to try to carve out a personal niche in the lives of every member of your extended family. I know how most families work. You know, the telephone rings, a teenager picks up the telephone, and it's their grandmother or their grandfather, and the voice on the other end of the line says, Oh, hi, are your parents there? And it's straight on to the parents. Okay? I know how it works with brother-in-law and sister-in-laws. Oftentimes... I want to challenge you to get above and beyond. I got a brother that lives in Iowa. He's married, got three kids. I call him, try to call him once or twice a week. Whenever I phone and his wife answers the phone, I always try to engage her in conversation. Her name's Vicky. Vicky's a part of my life. I want her to be a part of my life, and I want my life to be a part of hers. I care about what happens to her. She's not just my brother's wife. She's my sister-in-law. Understand how that works? When his kids were teenagers, they're all grown and gone now, but when they were teenagers and I would call back to their house and Matt would answer the phone or Monty would answer the phone or Martha would answer the phone, I never said, hi, this is Ron. Is your dad there? I never said that. If Matt answered the phone, hey, Matt, what's up, man? How you doing? What's the latest? You know Why? Because I want to have a place in their life. I want them always to know that we are family and we are together. And as much as we can, we're going to share life together. I want to challenge you, all of you. Take a look at the members of your extended family and figure out how you can carve a personal niche. Not just a general one. Not just that you're the family clown and everybody laughs at you, or whatever it is, a personal niche in their lives. You know what you're going to say to me? Oh, you know how much effort that takes? I just want you, what's the word we're talking about? Look on your notes. What's the word? Proactivity. Does that take effort? That's why it's called proactive. It's not automatic. Okay? It isn't. And it's not natural. But boy, is it worth it. It's worth it. I could tell you a bunch of different stories. 
But if you take the time to create that personal image, I got a phone call one day from a member of my extended family. I won't tell you who it is and don't even try to guess. But it was a member of my extended family. It was 5.30 in the morning on Sunday morning. Now you know when your phone rings at 5.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, you know it's not the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. Right? You know that that's not going to be a fun phone call. So I answered the phone. It's a member of my extended family sobbing and crying. I don't know what to do. What's up? I just found out that my husband's been having an affair. I don't want to see him again. Cry, 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 cry. Three kids. The oldest of which was, I think, 12. They've been married 15 or 16 years. Now, the story has a happy ending. The marriage was saved and all that stuff. But I want you to think with me for just a minute. She called me on my cell phone at 5.30 in the morning and she said she waited till 5.30 because she knew I would be in at the church office by 5.30 on Sunday morning. How'd she know that? She knew that because we already had a relationship. Understand how that works? You never know when the groundwork that you've laid and the personal niche that you've created in someone's life may be their lifeline in a time of great struggle. And if that relationship isn't there, or if you're just known as the family clown that everybody laughs at, then what are those people going to do for a lifeline? They're going to look outside the family, and what a shame. What a shame. Okay? Now, let me talk to a third group of people before we get to the second word. It's amazing. Nine Sundays out of ten, I wear a Hawaiian shirt, right? Some of you have already noticed. Golly, what happened to our pastor? He looks real plain this morning. And of all mornings, I'm going to break out a Hawaiian word for you. If you've come to this church for many years, I've broken this word out a couple of times, and I want to call you back to it. For those of you who are new, I want to introduce you to a word, and that's that word, hanai. It's not a word that we use here, but it's such a great word. You see, the Hawaiian Islands are way out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. They are, in many respects, the, that's the most re- remote location on the face of the earth. It is geographically furthest from all the continents of any place you can go in our world. And the amazing thing is, they're kind of small. And many people there have no biological family there. Their dad doesn't live there. Their mom doesn't live there. they got no brothers that live there, no sisters that live there. Many of them have no aunts or uncles or cousins. They have no one from their biological family there, but there they are. So what are you going to do when you don't have a family? Well, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to cry and be lonely, or you're going to craft a family of your own. So that's what they did. They said, you know, I'm stuck out here 3,500 miles from any place, and these are the only people I know. And so they looked around. They said, you know, that older guy, man, I just love him and his wife. And the next thing you know, they just kind of adopted them as their parents on the island. And then they found somebody else that they really liked as a couple, and they said, you know, we really like them. And they kind of adopted them as their brother and sister on the, on the islands. 
They found other kids that, that, that they really enjoyed, and the kids called them auntie and uncle. And the next thing you know, they developed this, this sense of family, so they invented a word for it, and they called it Hanai. And even today, when you go there, people will introduce you, hey, this is my Hanai daddy. This is my Hanai mother, my Hanai sister, Hanai brother. Such a wonderful thing. And they kind of informally adopted people into their home. i got to tell you, I love that concept. In fact, we use that in our family. We had a birthday get-together just earlier this week for uh, two or three people from our extended family right here in town that have birthdays in the month of October. We got together for an evening of India food because Lisa and I returned from India just recently and they hadn't seen the pictures and, and so and we brought back the special spices and again Lisa cooked up a wonderful Indian dinner and we ate Indian food and looked at India pictures and we celebrated birthday and we opened presents. But you know there were a number of people around that table that we're not blood related to. But they are our Hanai sons, daughters, people. You know, when that happens, that's just wonderful stuff. I just want to open your eyes to that. Think about that. Find out who you can bring into your family. Because there are many people out there that would be wonderful additions to your family. But you're going to have to be proactive. It's not just going to happen by itself. Now, Let's take a look at the second word. The second word is this, respect. You know, the best way I can illustrate this, you know, have you, have you ever known families that got just a little too close and, and they started having friction? Monica and I are taking a dance class right now with some other people from the church. And I know for some, you know, I grew up in churches where from the dance floor to hell. So, you know, I'm, I'm 57 years of age and had never, ever learned even how to do a ballroom dance with my own wife. So we decided that we would go take ballroom dancing, and, and we are. But, you know, we've learned right away that, it, that it's real easy to step on each other's toes. And, and, and just the, as I was thinking about this, I'm thinking, you know what extended family is? Extended family is like doing the dance of life together. And when you get too close and you're not very good at it, you end up walking on each other's toes. But now stay with me for a minute. The first time that I stepped on Monica's toes or the first time she stepped on my, my toes, I didn't look at her and go, I can't stand taking dance class with you. I'm out of here. No, we kind of took a step back. We tried to figure out what went wrong. And you know, sometimes she had made the wrong move. Sometimes I had made the wrong move. And quite often, both of us had. And we figured out how to do it right. We came back together again and, and we did that step and we did it right and we enjoyed it because we stuck with it and we learned how to do the dance together. Now you know what you have to do as an extended family? You have to learn how to do the dance of life together and it starts by having some respect for each other. And I want to give you just two simple statements and, and, and I'm not going to break them out for you because I can't possibly tell you all their variations and all the families represented here today. But I can tell you this, you're grown adults and if you'll take some time to think about these two concepts, I know that God will guide you into a proper understanding of them. And the first concept is this, it's important that you influence and don't meddle. You know, 
they didn't invent mother-in-law jokes because it never happened. And no offense to any mother-in-laws. We've all seen not only mother-in-laws, but father-in-laws and sister-in-laws and brother-in-laws. And, you know, but mother-in-laws tend to take the brunt of it. And we've all seen situations where people, their goal was actually not to influence. Their goal was to control. And, and, and I had somebody ask me after, well, how, how do you know what the difference is? I'll just give you one tiny little insight, okay? When you influence people, it always leads them to a place of peace and harmony and health. And when you meddle, it creates conflict. The goal is influence, not meddling. The second principle is this. It's important that you strengthen relationships, not weaken them. I call this the Pied Piper Syndrome. You see, if I'm going to share life with you, I've got to find out what you consider important and what you're trying to do in your children's lives. And then I want to come and, and, and enter into a partnership to help you accomplish what's most important to you. I don't take my own agenda and try to impose it on you and your family. And I've seen families where Uncle Joe is just going to be, he's going to, I mean, I'm here to help all the families and so forth. And he, and, and he wheels into the, to the family get-together in his Harley-Davidson motorcycle, you know, and spits on the ground and says, Anybody want to ride? No offense to owns a Harley, okay? But in the meantime, mom and dad are going, I'm not sure that's the influence I want in my child's life. I want you to think with me for just a minute. Virtually everyone in your extended family and virtually everyone in my extended family is supposed to have a family relationship that's closer than their relationship with me. Let's take my brothers. Both of my brothers are married. They should have a closer relationship with their wife than they have with me. They have children. They should have a closer relationship with their children than they have with me. I need to make sure that every interaction I have with my brother strengthens his relationship with his wife, not weakens it. I need to make sure every interaction I have with my brother's children strengthens their relationship with their mom and their dad and doesn't weaken it. Take my own children. I need to make sure that every interaction I have with them strengthens their marriage relationship, not weakens it. And I need to make sure that every interaction I have with my grandchildren strengthens their relationship with their parents and doesn't weaken it. Now, if you think about that for a minute, it will help you get the answer to the first one. Because when what I do strengthens those relationships, I'm influencing, I'm not meddling. It's amazing the opportunities that God has given us. As we close, I want to read you one scripture and give you one more principle. 
The scripture is this, and I'm, I'm sorry for the sake of time, I couldn't read the whole scripture. There's actually seven verses in that context, but I've just excerpted out the parts that speak specifically to what I'm talking to you about this morning. And here it is. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Well, you talk about great. We're part of God's extended family. Actually, you know, we're part of God's immediate family. Brothers and sisters, you're on the inside, way on the inside. So how is it that Jesus was not ashamed to call you and I his brothers and sisters? Goes on to say, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, why Jesus himself also became flesh and blood. You know what that's about? That's about the Christmas season, isn't it? That's when God came to earth as Jesus Christ took on flesh and blood as a human being and walked our earth for 30-some years uh, as, as a human being. We're going to talk about that at length uh, during the month of December. So why did Jesus become like this? It was necessary for Him to be made in every respect like us, His brothers and sisters. You know something? If you want to influence anyone, you have to get out of your world and into theirs. And Jesus knew if he was going to influence us, he had to get out of heaven and he had to get into earth. And he did. And I would submit to you that if it was worth it for Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth, it's worth it for you and I to get out of our world and down into the world of our grandchildren, or over into the world of our brother-in-law or sister-in-law, or up into the world of our grandparents, whatever it might take. Would you pray with me? Wonderful Heavenly Father, thank you for the absolute wonder of family. God, we work so hard to get it right, and it seems like there's 99 ways to do it wrong and only one to do it right. And yet you will guide us, and you have, and you are. I pray that you would enable us to have a different perspective on family than we often see lived around us, or maybe even that, than we grew up with. That we might begin to look at extended family as an untapped resource. And that we might begin to invite the members of our extended family into the experience of raising our children and into the experience of interacting with our grandchildren and our extended family. And I pray that you would help us individually to look for that personal niche that we might carve out in the life of everyone in our extended family so that our interactions are not just, hi, how are you doing, how's the weather, where are the kids, see you later. But that there's real influence that takes place, that we might find a way to share life together meaningfully and in a healthy way. Father, teach us how to get out of our world and into the worlds of other people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.